The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with three guests, a rarity in, on my show. Uh, but I have my friend Larry Litow, who is the president of LG Tech. And I have two new guys on the show, Tom Stauber and Mike Chavera, uh, both uh, co-managing partners, I believe, at Axiologic Solutions. Is that correct? Both That is. Yes, sir. Co-managing. There you go. So um, we'll introduce the new guys first. Michael, tell us who you are and what you do. Um, I'm Mike Chavera. I'm co-owner, managing partner of Axiologic Solutions. I'm originally from uh, Wyoming, went to the University of Wyoming, uh, went into the Navy, and then when I got out, I ended up in the D.C. area and uh, got my master's, and that's where I met Tom. Okay. Where'd you get your master's? Uh, UVA. Okay. I've heard of that. <laughs> so obviously you, you heard uh, Mike Spiel, so we, we share, um, obviously we co-own the same company, uh, went to the same grad school. I did my undergrad at, at Army, so B-Navy. Um, this will this will air after the game, so it'll sound really good or really bad. And we'll, we'll, we'll find out find out how that works. But but yeah, we've been be doing the Axiologic Solutions thing for, for about nine years, and uh, it's been good, and, and we're, we're happy to be here to talk about, talk about some of the issues surrounding uh, today's topics. Okay, so what, uh, without being too specific, considering the client, what does Axiologic do? So, uh, where, where Mike and I met was at, uh, a university of Virginia, uh, it's actually accelerated systems engineering masters program. So what we did was, uh, a year or two after we graduated, we got together and we, we put this together and said, we want to provide, uh, a systems engineering services focused, uh, company to support uh, kind of the federal environment. And since we've kind of narrowed down to the the intelligence and defense uh, focus, so what we do is we'll focus on things. A lot of people are familiar with the systems engineering V for, for lack of any other type of example. But what we do is we focus on uh, conceptual pieces of uh, particular challenges of a client. And we, we take that all the way through to a handover to operations and sustainment uh, and maintenance, that kind of function. So we don't do those types of things, but we're focused on requirements, planning, strategy, architecture, uh, high-level engineering. Uh, and and those, are, those are the services that we do, largely uh, with systems tied to, intel, uh, to IT. Uh, but sometimes we'll get into other things like logistics and HR and if, if those systems are appropriate for our solutions. And what I'd like to add on to what Tom just said is that, you know, we, you know, I look at system engineering as a decision science. And we go in, we bring in a bunch of different tool sets to help solve various problems. Um, Tom is right. We usually focus on the left-hand side of that V. Um, but, you know, we bring in, we look at risks, we look at requirements, we look at different strategies and how that aligns to the mission of the organization overall. Okay. And that's how we made a name for ourselves. Larry? Yes. How you doing? Good. Larry Litau, been with LG Tech for about six months. Previous to that, I was with a, uh, another government contractor, which we recently uh, uh, sold off. So now I'm here, and uh, L- the IC world is so different, you know, compared to any other government agency. 
and I think that's what we're here to talk about. But, uh, you know, came up through the Maryland schools, graduated University of Maryland. Where does LG Tech fit into the scheme of things? Uh, well, you know, technology company, we've gotten involved in training, log- linguistics, logistics. We do some uh, technologies with cybersecurity. We do some technical surveillance. We really do a lot of things across the board. Okay, yeah, Elizabeth's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. So uh, technically this is show five and the big issues facing small contractors, but the focus for this show is small contractors in the IC. So um, I, I, I've attended a number of events for the IC over the years, but I'm never going to you know, be anything but a gadfly in that community. But the reason I attend those things is I get questions from everybody uh, outside of the IC saying, I have the latest, greatest tool. They really need me at NSA, CIA, NGO, whatever. Uh, you know, get me in. So I'm not the person to get you in, but I need to know the people to get you in. Uh, so that's why I attend those events. And I've actually got to speak at a couple of them, which is very cool. Um, but but breaking into the IC is is extremely difficult. So the government market's relationship-driven. IC is relationship-driven on steroids. So, um, so Larry, start off. You've been playing the IC world for, for quite some time. Uh, we met because of that uh, several years ago. Uh, so some generic or specific advice to, to companies that think they want to play here. Yeah, I mean, the biggest advice was you got to find a mentor. You got to find somebody that's going to sort of get you through the process. The process is is not only understanding the procurement side, but it's understanding the recruitment side. It's understanding the security side. It's it's unlike any other agency. So it takes a lot to understand. It takes a lot to commit resources to it. And if you don't have somebody that sort of walks you through it, you're just never going to be successful. Okay, Mike. Um, yeah, so when Tom and I got started, we got started in 2009, um, you know, and it was almost a full Coming year. Up on 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, it was almost a full year before we were able to break in. And it was, you know, we're going through our, our contact now, hold, list. Hold on. Both of you guys did have experience there. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I, I particularly want to drive home this point. Both these guys are graduates of that community. And it took them a year to open a door. So, right. Sorry, you know, because ahead. we're looking at, you know, where, where can we fit in? Um, where can we get the, the work? And it was, uh, you know, it was, we used our relationships and we were able to use, you know, it was, you know, we had Tom had a contact and he was able to give us a chance. We got two seats. We got two, uh, you know, we put, we were the first two butts in our seats, essentially. That's what we did. There you go. And we worked um, in the company initially. And so, you know, for that first year, year and a half after that, um, initially, Tom and I didn't pay ourselves for you know four or five months just to make sure that we put some money in the bank, and then after that, we were able to kind of start growing out a little bit. Um, and then we, you know, these guys were you know, we were working hard. We, you know, we can. I always like to say is that we can outwork anyone, um, and that's what we were trying to do initially. So, well, your Navy, your Army, you know, which one outworks better? <laughs> uh, <I'm laughs> so, just so kind of a rhetorical question. I, I, we we know the answer to that question, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> But uh, looking looking at it, just expounding on where where Mike is 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 to your point, relationship on steroids is good. I I don't know if there's that much more on the relationship side than other agencies. Um, there obviously are some barriers to entry, which we'll I'm sure get into later in spades. 
But what we looked at is, is certainly we had relationships with prime contractors. We had relationships with the customer, uh, and they were aware of what um, what we were capable of. So in terms of that coming in, as somebody looks and says, well, well I like Tom Stauber. I want him uh, to do this for me. Uh, and then we have a prime that, that also at least somewhat appreciates the fact that that i can do that and and we all kind of win right because we're not we're not making it hard on the prime the customer likes us coming in and we said well we want to do the initial foray in and make it work for you uh and not make it hard on anyone else so when they say we want to bring you in we're not going to you know do something outrageous or or push push something overbearing on them we're saying well just make it work for us we're going to give you more that you want and then and then grow it from there so it was kind of a grassroots piece initially uh, the way that we did it, we've seen it done several different ways. Mm-hmm. But for us, it was how how do we grow uh, grow grassroots and grow with kind of that low investment approach that that Mike Mike referenced. But it's but at some point, I think we've all experienced you got to be great at something. Yep, they got to want you, right? They're not gonna they're not gonna give you the business because they like you. They're, they they're going to give you the business because it fills a yes a responsibility or a butt and seat or something where they want you on board and then you know you use that angle to start expanding with other relationships once you get inside the door and that's that's it right so so it's it's the witness of we've seen you do this before in many other different ways um we you know the focus right wrong or indifferent is the branding when you start a company at least in a services aspect like we do mm-hmm. is is while well, Axiologic Solutions is a brand today, I mean, when we got started, the brand was Tom and Mike, right? Right, and and we've we've kind of all witnessed that, and the idea is how you do that transition to become something bigger. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, uh, Larry, Larry, you mentioned the the mentor aspect, so that that intimates some form of education here. So, when you guys were at UVA in this accelerated program for Brainiacs. No part of that was how do you do business with the IC. There's no course out there that I know of that's how to do business with the IC. Um, they don't send out emails. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you. Ha- you have to kind of find a person and and, and figure yeah. out where the where the meetings are. So is is all of the education experiential? Well, yeah. I mean, it's really on the job training, right? I mean, yeah. and the other problem you have is you gotta you gotta be able to access that community that's why you see a lot of people who who are in that world that come out of it sort of you know either whether they're working for the the agency or the organization and they can start something because they have access to it right so it's it's that whole idea where you have to uh have the ability to play the game before you can play it right and so if you don't have that they're not even going to take the time to look at you so you then you got to figure out how you can make that happen first or you can say, well, maybe I won't be involved, but I'll go hire somebody that at least has access to it. And then they help, you know, as a part of your company, they help you get in the door. But it's, you know, it's a, cl- it's a closed network. Yeah. Well, you and I share, I, I don't know Tom and Mike very well yet. We'll get over that soon. Uh, but you and I have known each other a long time. We know mutually a lot of people who've graduated from one of these stovepipes in the IC and immediately turns around and goes back in and sells their expertise because they own that esoteric chunk of knowledge. You guys did it kind of in in the same way. You are graduates of that community, so you could go back in, but it wasn't quite the same way. You weren't uh, 
you were you both uniform when you were in that arena? We both at some point served in the Intel community, uh, or I did at least. I, don't I, I wasn't. I wasn't necessarily inside uh, the Intel community uh, in the oh, way. No. I, I was not. Um, all my all my experience while while I did serve in military intelligence, uh, all my experience was actually in ex- explosive ordnance disposal, supporting their mission. So not not as an operator, but but on the intel side. So right. so if if I went into an agency, maybe maybe once or twice over the course of of my military career, um, it it wasn't tied to it. Most of most of the things that I experienced were after I retired, and then when I did that, I, I spent a little time, probably about five years, uh, going around the intel community, uh, serving as a contractor. After okay. um, I was I was retired from the military, so so that that gave me some time to kind of experience what happened, some of the de- details around it. But I will tell you that that what we learned on the other side of of the business, you know, once we got started and got into it, was was far exceeds anything that you can you can learn from an experiential way uh, leading into it. Okay, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I shall return with these gentlemen right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here with the uh, the managing partners of uh, uh, Axiologic Solutions, Michael Shavira and Tom Stauber, and the president of LG Tech, Larry Litow. So, um, the biggest issue, and it you know it even makes you know the trade pubs right. So it's got to be it even makes the post on occasion clearances. Um, and and I don't even know who's in charge anymore. So apparently it's not OPM. Is it going to be DOD? Is there going to be a, a new agency stood up? Uh, if so, where is it? But nothing is expediting this process. So, um, so Tom, you, you guys uh, both were able to break in because you had clearances, right? So you could be immediate butts in seats. So you could actually make a living relatively quickly. Um, when, when you onboard somebody that doesn't have a clearance, I mean, number one, do you onboard anybody that doesn't have a clearance? So I guess, I guess now now you're trying to like hey I want you to give away secret sauce um that's okay no 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 that's no. A, I'm I'm you, kidding I'm just, you don't have to I, I just Mark secret, I just but. so so we're there and and what what we look at is is it's if you want to bring on somebody that doesn't then it's really hard um then that person is probably if they're on your rolls it's probably not going to be able to work for a year and a half. A year and a half. It depends yeah. on the agency that right. you deal with. It depends yeah. on the job that you deal with. You right. know, if if you're hiring somebody to come in to do, you know, work on, you know, the travel system for the army with a secret or something like that, you know, which we don't do, it, you can probably do it quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're dealing with, you know, the highest of the high intel agencies, you know, and the thing is, is, is not everybody does it the same way and for good reason. Right, so so not everybody has the same level of verification, even at at the highest levels, which is fine and it's intentional and it's good because when you don't know why somebody does something a certain way, it makes it more secure. Um, but what I will tell you is is that when we focus on 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 that, we focus on people that have been inside uh, of a particular community and and that they have the access because it it expedites things. 
that doesn't mean that it's going to happen next day, but it, it will happen quicker if you are addressing people that are there. So, Larry, LG Tech does a fair <coughs> amount of staffing. Where do you find the yeah. warm bodies? Well, I mean, the problem you have is different different contracts have different priorities. So, you know, in some some contracts, you can get people turned around very quickly. But, again, then you maybe have to commit to that person for a period of time. So it's not necessarily a great scenario. And I agree, it, it's, you know, just it's almost impossible to start somebody from scratch and, and plan that they'll actually come work for you when that clearance comes in because who knows what's going to happen a year a year down the road or more. You know, the, the, what a lot of people are doing now is uh, a lot of people are going after retire, retired military coming out. Mm-hmm. They have the clearances in many cases, or you can upgrade them very quickly because maybe they're missing one aspect of the polygraph. Uh, a lot of a lot of times we go that that angle. Uh, if somebody is uh, has had the poly in essence, but uh, is a free agent, you can get them reinstated. That takes a little less time, you know, uh, than a normal pro- than a normal process. But it's it's tough out there, and you know we're just everybody's sort of robbing from each other. And every time you rob from one another, then you're basically mm-hmm. having to pay them more. So eventually, it doesn't work in your benefit. Yeah, it's a shrinking gene pool. It seems. Yes. Right. So, but um, jump in, Michael. Um, yeah. So, what I was going to tell you before is that you know when we first got started, that's why we decided to focus on the IC because Tom and I both had the clearance. Um, you know, it is one thing. You know, we it's a limited pool as to where candidates are, where we can choose from. Um, one thing that Tom and I've you know recently started doing a lot of is going to military career fairs, looking at those candidates that are coming out of the military who have the right clearance because. It does expedite the process quite a bit coming in. You're already having the SCI. We can get a polygraph scheduled very quickly. You know, if you come in with a TS, it takes a lot longer, secret, even longer than that. And so we're minimizing our costs, keeping our overhead low. You know, if we hire these people and they just sit on our overhead, um, you know, it, it just uh, it's, makes it harder to run the company. Does, so. it, does it make it easier for you to go after those retired military being veteran-owned business? It, it does. It does. And there's also some tax breaks as well that, uh, you know, by hiring military folks that we can take advantage of um, when, you know, and that's something that we didn't know when we first got started either. You know, you know we, uh, you know, keeping our costs low, we did our, we, we used a PEO, essentially a professional employer organization. Um, and when you do that, you don't get some of those tax incentives. And so it wasn't until we started growing a little bit and we had, I think, 20 people working at that point in our company where we started kind of moving away from that model, and we realized that there's some a lot of tax benefits that you can take advantage of. One of those being hiring vets, and that's something that we do now. Um, you know, so we were very well entwined into all the military um, career fairs in the area. You know, especially the ones that have the SCI, and we're even fo- you know, as we're starting to expand out. You know, we're also we're making that a big piece of you know our recruitment process, our staffing plan as to where we're going to find the right people okay. in places like Silicon. So. Larry, I'm assuming you guys do the same thing, but my question next would be: uh, They're cleared. Do they necessarily have the the uh, expertise that the contracts call for uh, um, to go along with the clearances, or you know, are they at this level, uh, you know, three steps down from where they need to be technically to mm-hmm. do the work? It's really tough. The, the you know most most of our contracts. I don't know if you guys see it on the other on your side, but there's not a lot of patience, you know, so, you know, you really have to find somebody that, 
uh, not only has the, the, the actual uh, clearance, but then has the right expertise because they don't necessarily allow for growing into the, into the position. Right. Now, if you have a very large effort and you have, uh, you know, where you have some senior folks and some mid-level and some junior, you might be able to, you know, bring somebody in and, and, and grow them through that aspect. But, you know, they expect you to, and these, and, you know, once you win an opportunity, they expect you to hit the ground running. They, right. You know, there's not a lot of, uh, you take a few months, get up to speed, go find your staff, don't worry about it. There's, there's not a lot of that. Yeah. So Larry, Larry's kind of right, right? So if, if you're going out and you're getting your kitchen remodeled, you don't want to hire a contractor that's that's learning how to do it on the job as as kind of the lead effort. You know, using he might he might have a couple of apprentices. YouTube training approach, right? Yeah. He might have a couple of apprentices in there with him. That's fine, but but you want you still want the job done the right way, and yeah. you want it in the right way. And as you mentioned, the issue becomes is there are certain things that are out there that you know there might be. Only a single-digit number of people that can do them. Uh, and that makes it hard uh, from a recruiting standpoint. It makes it hard from a supply and demand standpoint when we look at the economics of it. Uh, and it's one of the things where we need to be proactive and we need to uh, anticipate requirements and have people trained for or at least have people in the pipeline for that they're preparing uh, that that we know what what they're going to want, so that's a key to us getting in front of the requirements. And you can't always do it, but but we try to get there so that we can be uh, as proactive as possible uh, yeah. to to stay in to on stay a, with on a recompete effort. That's why going after the incumbents is so is is almost a must have, right? You got to be able to walk out with a high percentage of the incumbency. If not, you could be in a really uh, tough situation because there might be only ten people that can do that, and you need a you need most of those. Right. So that incumbent capture is 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 almost you know part of your proposal, part of your strategy when you go after a proposal that's a recompete. So you're you're actually touching bases with those folks during the process. Yeah, I'm trying to. to that's sure for that sure. That availability will right. stay sane. Right, and most of these people, you know, have a loyalty to the mission. Sure. So they they don't yeah. they they understand that. Yeah. So um, slightly different question: How what percentage of the contracts that both of you are bidding on involve staffing with people that are hard to come by? Right now, I would say 90 percent of our of the proposal we've been doing recently. I was going to say hundred percent. Yeah. But it's it's if if you want to hire the right person uh, in, in an environment like ones that we typically operate. Um, staffing staffing's never never a straightforward process. It's like you can't just, you know, put a job out there and, and expect to get the right candidate for it. Uh, you have to you have to have your network. You have to have an environment that people want to work in. And you have to have a you know from from customer through company it's got to line up. Uh, so we're we're very referral heavy because we know that we get the people that people want to work with. You know, we have people, we, we like people that want to come be part of the culture that we've established. Uh, and we have to have people that understand the mission and who fit in there. And the, the issue becomes is, is there aren't that many people who always fit that uh, because of a lot of the limiters we've already discussed. Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Larry, Tom, and Michael right after this.
Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Larry Letow, president of LG Tech, Tom Stauber, and Michael Chvera, co-managing partners of Axiologic Solutions. And the, the area I want to discuss next involves the bid and proposal process and funding as necessary. So, uh, Larry, you, you've been doing this for just a few weeks. Um, so... Uh, on, on let's 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 start with the bid and proposal side. Um, do you do you do that internally? Did you do that internally at your your previous company, um, or do you use a combination of internal external? It's always a combination. I mean, the, you know, when you when you start to go after an effort, you know, there's two ways to strategize. You got to figure what type of effort is it? Is it fixed price? Is it you know what are the valuation factors? What are you going to need? You know, the biggest thing we found is the dynamic change to cost proposals. There's so much information. I mean, you could have a technical proposal that has 50, 60, 70 pages to it, but you could have a cost proposal that could have 200 pages because of the backup information that you need. And you really need to have somebody that understands that. Elizabeth, our CEO, has an amazing uh, expertise in that background, but we even use th- we even use additional consultants to come in and help us for, for large efforts. Well, yeah, you don't want your CEO spending, you know, right. three weeks, uh, you know, of total time focusing on 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 a bid. Right. Uh, hopefully, she's doing some other stuff too. And I think the biggest thing that we're seeing is there's just not that many great people that can write. Right. And it's tough because you know they're that's that's the way they're evaluating it, right? You're putting words on a piece of paper and they're evaluating that, and if people don't have that ability, that that falls, then everything falls onto one or two people, and that, that burns you out really quick if you're doing a lot of proposals. I think with a big contract that we won, Tom and I each put in roughly 400 hours in a month on the on the proposal. Um, but we Combined or? Total. Oh, no, for each of us. And so it was a lot of time spent, a lot of late nights, um, but that's one thing. I mean, we're vested. Um, and I think we also did, we, we do a combination of in-house proposal writing and, and uh, we outsource as well. And we outsource to different groups depending on if they know an agency, we like to go with the ones that uh, that know that agency. Yeah, the, the know an agency has to be more key for you than others. So I've had companies call me and say, you know, we know soup's going to open up in two years. Can you aim us at a person? So I can find a bunch of people who've helped companies win seats on soup, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know where to start to look for proposal people who would list that like on their LinkedIn pro. Oh yeah, we do a lot of work in the IC. <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a lot different when the proposal effort is an IDIQ type contract vehicle versus it's a direct effort around an expertise. Right. Yeah. And I'd have to imagine that, that um, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, you know, I speak at APMP uh, pretty much every year. Uh, so there's a lot of generic proposal people out there. Not many of them are going to have significant experience in the IC. Is that an accurate statement? Well, the more the more we go through this is I think if you're going to your proposal person for the brunt of the experience when you're bidding something in the IC, you're probably already behind the game, Right. Um, I shouldn't have to go to my proposal manager or whoever if I'm outsourcing it and say, yeah, you really know this agency, get me in. Because then then if you're already, then you're probably already too late. Um, you, you need to have, I believe, the internal capacity and familiarity of, of what you're going after because you, you're the one that's doing the work 
you're, you've got to be able to execute. You got to know how that fits into what you do. So if, if you're bringing on somebody to, to, to do the, the BMP outsourced for you and they're not part of your company, they're, they're not going to really know how that all intertwines. Uh, and it's also going to shine through when, when you're putting through your solution that, that you don't know the right way to tailor that to your customer. So it really yeah. comes back down to the kind of that, that long pole that Mike was talking about is where, where, you know, where we started with our biggest customers is we were there. Right. right, and we were there for a number of years, even but, before but we did do that. You still put in four hundred hours each over a thirty-day period when a big gig's coming down, or do you have people in-house doing that for you, supplemented perhaps by outside help? Well, when you're yeah. when you're a ten-person or fifteen or twenty-person company, yeah, you do. Yeah. There's yeah. there's no way to avoid that um, unless you have an unlimited pot of money behind you to support you. Um, I think if if you're in the case now, where we have over a hundred people, and there are probably people that have more familiarity with the customer than than Mike or myself does. Right. Right. So so we need to lean on those people to help us understand the issues du jour that that we we might not have as much touch with as we used to. Right. So it's that that's that's my personal view. It's it's not necessarily the answer. It sounds like Larry may have an additional insight. But you're right. I mean I think I think that's the capture side, right? The capture side of that information. And then there's that there's this proposal manager side, which is a whole nother World, you know, you get the you get the, the these drafts, these proposals, whether they're draft or, or release, and you have the PEC, which is the sort of the evaluation criteria. You have the PPI, which is the proposal instructions, and they give you specific specific requirements. And if you if you miss one of those requirements, as simple as that, or you don't have your matrix at the at the front of it that ties into that, you could be you could you could take those eight hundred hours that you just spent in in one second. They're out the door. Yeah. So you really have to have somebody that understands that that specific proposal effort, understand exactly what every requirement is, and, and make sure that every one of those check boxes are checked. Because I've seen people invest so much time and lose it in a matter of a second. You use nine point Calibri instead of ten point right. New Roman. Right. Or your or your, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or it, it happens. It, it really <laughs> is. Or your or your graphics aren't proper, or what's a graphic versus a table, or what's it, all that. And it, it's you know, it's a it's a it's a specialty in itself. It is, and and you know, I have to believe that part of it is just to weed out, you know, those fifty proposals that you don't want to read anyway, and get to the five or ten that are actually germane. But but the truth of the matter is 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 it depends on your business model, right? If if we're if we're bidding something, where they care about whether it's eleven point or twelve point font, because there's three hundred people out there and that's how they're dealing with it, is it's. As a company, for for us and our model and and what we do, it's that we probably don't need to be doing that bit anyway. Uh, but there are certain people that are that are doing kind of that that larger scale approach, right? We we tend to do focus more on the the less on the quantity end and more on the the individual kind of delivery quality end. So it's it's it really depends on your model. So when you ask that question to me, that's why you kind of get the the flippant answer to that. But but I look at other folks who are doing that, and maybe there is something where where you have to do a large scale contract where you're certainly looking at um, kind of those, those, it might be a much lower margin, but higher top end. So in the end of the day, it's a very lucrative contract, but you have to, you have to weigh those things. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit on this side and talk Mm -hmm. about potential funding issues that may uh, come along with winning a vehicle. So uh, between takes, we were talking about this. So, 
So, Michael, you you guys, when when you were much smaller, right, you set up a relationship with a lending institution. Yeah, the the first institution we went to was Bank of America, and that was you know. You know, they had a, a business uh, person that we spoke to that you know did uh, banking for businesses. Uh, when it t- when it came time for us to grow, um, they wouldn't give us a line of credit. I mean, this was during the recession; um, it was hard, so we ended up moving to another bank. You know, we we went to some networking event and we got courted by PNC. Um, PNC was able to give us a smaller line of credit, um, and it wasn't until we found Zenith Bank, who was understands the. The government, our market, our market yeah. essentially, that was able to give us a substantial line of credit. I think was initially in the six figures, which was able to cover you know a couple, at least two months of payroll at that time. Um, but in that time frame, as we continue to grow, I mean, we did have to do some factoring because you know sometimes our growth was outpacing our our bank account, um, and the cash and not having that line of credit was becoming a risk. And so that's why we ended up doing some sort of factoring model where. You know, we would you know give give this company our invoices, and they would give us eighty percent of it up front, and then hold it back the other twenty percent until we actually got paid by the government. Um, and th- those are all, I think, growing pains that a lot of companies go through unless they have you know a, a wealthy investor behind them. Um, but that's you know, Tom and I did it. We bootstrapped along the way, and so and, and you're happier as a result. <laughs> we are uh, initially. I mean, it hurt. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, Tom and I, you know, we did not pay ourselves for several months to make sure that our employees would would get paid and you know we were you know you know we were the ones taking the the hit you know but now we're not we don't have to do that well you know it goes back you know as you, when you start off and even to this day you got to make sure your invoices are great right or perfect yeah. because if they reject them you sort of start the process again and what's nice about it you know at least on our end for small businesses that if you do submit your invoices properly you can get paid pretty quickly and that helps you from technically always having to go out to a uh, third party or, or your line of credit. But ultimately, when you win a big opportunity or, or medium-sized opportunity, you, you almost have to have something set up in place so that you can handle the growth. Whether you choose to use it or not, you know, it just depends on the uh, the cycle. And, you know, if, you're, if you have to hire the people in advance or you can just do a beginning contract, hey, we rebadge people, then it's a lot easier. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We'll wrap up with Larry, Michael, and Tom right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Larry Letow of uh, LG Tech. He's president of LG Tech. And Tom Stauver and Michael Chavira of Axiologic. They are co-managing partners. So I want to talk, uh, first of all, about events that that revolve around the IC. So uh, I, I saw Bob Gorley speak uh, about a month or so back, and he said for, for the IC, there's two absolute must-attend events. One is DOTUS, and one is the National Geospatial Event, and I forget who was the sponsor <laughs> of that. But um, number one, we'll start with Tom this time, uh, are are those must attend for you? Um, so so I will tell you that we do attend both of those events. Okay. Um, they're they're good events. I know Bob. I've seen. I I've worked with Bob. Uh, he he attends both of those events as well. Uh, he's good people. Um, the uh, the one that you mentioned is run that that you aren't sure. That's the the United Space the United. Uh, the USGIF, the Geospatial yeah. Intelligence uh, Foundation, uh, we're we're part of the USGIF. Uh, we have a little 
uh, USGIF member thing up in, in the office. So they're, they're a great organization as well. So I have to give them a plug. Um, but I would say both of those events are good. Those are, those are open conferences for contractors that they can attend, go to sessions and exhibit at and meet, uh, meet a lot of people at. Uh, obviously expectations have to be somewhat tempered. When you go to those, it's not like you just go to them. People just hand you things that that everything you need to be successful in business. But but it's but like going but, to an Osdebu office and you walk out with a contract. Yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, but there there are people who you know sure. certainly come in and they have that expectation. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's not necessarily the way that works. So so we've those types of forums are good. There's there's plenty of those. There's probably one for every agency or industry that somebody wants to get into and those are pretty easy to find that are put on by you know a company like ncis or ndia you know you can look across any organization like that that does conferences and they post who they represent and where they are so you can see uh if there's someone that you want to work with but you said something key there these are open conferences was was that an implication that there may be events that necessarily aren't open i i didn't necessarily mean that comment that way but certainly um you know there are there are certainly conferences that um that will limit attendance okay um, because there are certain things invite only yeah okay well i mean there are definitely conferences that are tied to access right and if you can't uh and they do that so they can share probably more data you know more information with you and then the ones that are open to all right So so Certain clearance required for anybody attending, for right. instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure, and, and you know, and, and literally, if you wanted to make a full time job attending conferences, you could. Uh, but you got to figure out what what agencies you want to work with, where you want to be, and really find out you know which ones focus on that arena. Mm-hmm. And then while you're there, you know, you have to network like crazy, right? It's it's not especially if you're beginning. You got to figure out. What teams can you be on? What's out there? What's your specialty? And what what contracts carry that kind of requirement? And then find out who the prime is or who else is bidding on it. I mean, the one thing you don't see, you don't see in the past one comment just before, but you don't see, unless it's an IDIQ type contract, most of the contracts you don't see a ton of people bidding anymore like you used to. You know, there might be five or six bidders, you know, that we see. Uh, and then, you know, so you sort of know who the players are, you know, sort of who the, t- the, the teams will be and you either, either lead one of the teams or you try to get on a team. Okay. Thoughts. Yeah. Um, one thing that I, I did speak to somebody about, you know, there was some conferences I've attended that, uh, require a certain level of clearance. Um, yes, they, they want to share more information. A lot of those are, are here in the area. Um, but also it's, you know, it's to limit media. I mean, I've, I've been a DOTUS at, you know, across the country and you see, you know, the articles coming up, you know, on the, the local newspapers about, you know, this, you know, this big, you know, spy organization is coming to the, <laughs> to the neighborhood and all this stuff that they're saying. It's, it's comical because you're in the, you're in this, you're, at, you're at DOTUS and you don't know exactly what people are talking about is just to get out of this area for, you know, a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing, you know, nefarious or anything like that, yeah, but it's always Ohio last fall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so it's uh, it's always interesting to kind of read those articles, like uh, after you visit a place like Denver, and uh, kind of what they're saying. Okay. So, uh, what about the value of industry days? Uh, not necessarily for you guys, as your players, but for for newbies, are are those valuable, or is it just too generic? I think industry day expectation setting, right? So, if you go to an industry day, chances are. 
the 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 highest level of expectation I think that somebody can have going to industry day is that they might find a way to subcontract on a team if they're not on one. Right. And that's the highest level to me is if you go to an industry day in the community and you don't really know much about the opportunity and you're planning on priming it, then your expectations are, are probably well, well overthought. Right. Um, but I think the, the largest thing about industry day is, is that will give you exposure to other companies that are in the space uh, that, that you can develop longer term relationships with and maybe follow on uh, discussions to do things. What's clear about industry day is anybody who's thinking of priming an an opportunity never talks about that opportunity there. They don't want to be known. (laughs) So, so, you know, that's, you sort of know if somebody's, uh, you think going after it, they don't want to talk about it. They're probably going after it because they don't want to ask any questions that might, you know, provide any insight, you know, to their strategy or to help somebody else's. And I would also add to it, it's like if you're going to go, if you're going to invest the money, you need to go with the purpose. Um, networking is great. You can do a lot of networking in this area as well. Um, but I would go for a purpose. Um, like you want to go meet a certain person that's you know hard to speak to. You want to go meet a certain company. Um, you know, Don't waste your money uh, if you don't go without a purpose. Right. So let's take the flip side of that. There are networking venues for the IC. Uh, and I don't. I don't want anybody to uh, necessarily name the key events, but uh, in my neighborhood, I'm, I'm uh, literally 10, 12 minutes away from Fort Meade. So there's a couple of, of, uh, of spots there. There are two major networking venues for contractors that are already there. Uh, it, well, let me put it this way. There's two that I know of, and not being in that community, there's, there's probably several others that I'll never know about. So uh, the fact that I know that there's at least two is, you know, nice, but, it you know, I don't do work there. So for where you guys, uh, Michael and Tom, where you do business, uh, are there venues uh, where it is contractor-only type environment that you can you can network at? There are, um, and it, it changes over time. Right, so we've we've been there. We've seen existing groups. We've 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 been part of groups in their infancy when they've started up. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is I think those groups have a life cycle, um, and what happens is, is you have a group, you pull it together, you have a purpose. It has it has a value. Uh, it gains traction, uh, and then over a period of time, it kind of assimilates into what everything else is, and and we kind of refer it off air to kind of how it, it becomes discussions that aren't focused. Um, what I can say is, is some of these groups are good uh, and and won't necessarily go into details here, but but there there are groups where you get a large enough constituency that's not too large that rep- represents the, the kind of the, the swath, a swath of an organization that some of the government folks might want to come talk to just because they can get out their word uh, to industry so that folks understand what's going on. So that's that's great, especially if a contracting officer come out and says, this is going on, you need to do this. And then that's a good way for them to to get the words out about what what is going on in their agency and, and perspective to uh, to a lot of the uh, – to, to industry. Well, the two that you, you alluded to on the, on the Fort Meade side, they've been – surprisingly, they've been around for a long time. Right. 
and uh, you know a lot of the occasionally the the, the players change, but you know the, you go there and they they talk about what's out there and who's going after it, who might be, and and I think that's why they keep it very close knit, and it's very tough to get into these type of uh, events because there is a lot of sharing and sort of everybody's sort of quote unquote under under a, you know an NDA type and type environment, right? And everybody you, pretty much knows each other, right? And but you, but you know, God, they, they've been around for fifteen years at least. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the fact that I was invited to speak to one was a major surprise to me. So, <laughs> Michael, any thoughts on that one? No, it's just like I, I agree with Tom. I think uh, we've been part of several of these groups. Um, when we were smaller, you know, we definitely both attended as we started to get older, as we started to grow and, and get older in our company. Um, it's something that, you know, Tom or I will start, you know, giving that responsibility to other employees. Uh, but yeah, they definitely have a life cycle. I think, uh, you know, as you're first getting started, they're a lot more valuable, um, you know, knowing all those opportunities and knowing what's coming down in those agencies. Um, and as, as you start to expand out, you should already know what some of those opportunities are and already have a clear idea as to kind of what, uh, what your approach should be, whether you're priming, subbing, bidding, not bidding on those, uh, different opportunities from your own ag- agencies that you're supporting. Okay. I'm going to go down the line here and ask for uh, uh, final advice for anybody who's trying to break in. Tom, lead off. I, I, I think the the number one thing is 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 don't, don't jump in blind. Make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure you have some familiarity, familiarity with where you're going. Um, kind of the, the issues that we've seen is, is, is we've seen a lot of ways not to do things. Well, we've seen a few ways to do things. Um, but one time that, you know, the one times that Mike and I look at each other and says, you know, we, we worry about these guys is when folks just kind of jump off the deep end and said, we started a company, we're going after work. And like, once you do that, you kind of have to build up the familiarity with a customer, at least in our environment, you can't go in cold and just expect to win. I'm not saying that nobody's ever done it, but the key piece is, is build up your knowledge, build up your relationships and build up your experience. Uh, so that when you do do it, uh, you're you're familiar with where you're, you're you're moving into familiar territory. Right, Larry. Be patient. A lot of hurdles. It's going to take a long time. It doesn't happen very quickly. And find somebody to help you through the process. That mentor factor, Michael. Um, I would say stick with what you know. Um, you know, there's when you start a company, there's it's very easy to get inundated with you know all the different pieces of running that company. Outsource the accounting. Don't get office space. You know, those are those are some things that um, I've seen a lot of other companies when they get started, you know, they get office space right, you know, downtown DC. And it's not, you know, that's expensive. You know, that increases your overhead immediately. Um, and don't do your own books. I mean, that's, you know, you weren't an accountant, you're not a CPA. You know, there's people who can do that, you know, offload that risk. You know, so just stick with what you know, you know, deliver to the client and deliver an exceptional product um, or service. Um, but, you know, let's, you know, let other people kind of come in and help you cool so. gentlemen thank you very much um can i do a, can i do a quick plug yeah sure just want to let everybody know oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. On, let everybody know on april 25th we're going to have the uh, national Cybersecurity hall of fame event in maryland at the hotel at arundel preserves uh you know it's going to be sold out night 350 people or more and we are going to uh have uh five probably around five people inducted and it's always a great event and a must must be must be at. Need a clearance to attend? No. <laughs> I can come. <laughs>
I'm one of those people who couldn't get cleared anyway. I misspent youth. Um, we won't go there. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, Thanks, Michael Chavera and Tom Stauber of Axiologic and Larry Letow of LG Tech. Greatly appreciated. This is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. Most of my advice does not apply to the intelligence community, but I can introduce you to a few people who can help you break into the IC. Uh, so drop me a line at marketfederaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.